Moments that matter. Moments that matter. Moments that matter. So welcome to this latest edition of the Moments That Matter podcast series. And a bit of a warning up front today, this is going to be a real honest and raw conversation that we're going to have with Stuart O'Neill, the author of Just One Reason. And we are going to be dealing with some pretty serious issues around mental health, including suicide and trauma. So please be aware of that before proceeding any further with this podcast and we'll have some extra information on ways that you can reach out if any parts of this conversation do raise concerns for you and we'll also provide some links in the podcast description as well. But I am genuinely excited to bring you this conversation today because because the conversation we had was real and raw and honest and Stuart touched on a number of different areas within his own personal experiences as did I in our, in the back and forth that we had. And to just provide some further background, Stuart has written his own book called Just One Reason, and it really does serve as a suicide prevention handbook. So through this podcast, he takes us through how he put that together, why he put that together, how that's connected with so many different people. And he also talks about another more recent project that he's undertaken to set up what, at least to my understanding, is the world's first mental health pub in the Deepwater Hotel which is up near Armidale in the northern part of New South Wales. So as usual, this is a really wide-ranging conversation covering a range of topics, mainly based around mental health, as we have recorded this in preparation for November to really continue to have these sort of honest conversations happen right across our society in order to benefit anyone that might be going through a tough time. So sit back and relax or continue getting on with, with your day, depending on how you like to enjoy these podcasts. And I hope you really enjoy our conversation today with Stuart O'Neill. Okay, Stuart, thanks for your time today. And I'm going to start just by asking you to take me through the Stuart O'Neill story to date. Like, What has led you up to this moment with a particular reference uh, to the release of the book? So a pattern in my world started to become obvious to me like ages ago where I'd go, you know what, I've had enough. And I'm checking out and then I'd always find a reason not to. And so that pattern just, you know, when I was in my darkest spaces, maybe seven years ago, thereabouts, that pattern just continued to emerge as like, oh, I can't today, actually. Like I'd have enough and I'd be like laying there at night and thinking, this is it, it's over and whatnot. And then I'd be like, oh, actually, no, I can't tonight because I've got this on tomorrow. And so this pattern just continued. And then um, I'm a mad footy fan. And I'll be like, oh, no, 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 hang on a minute. My team's going pretty well. We might make the finals this year. So I just continued to become more and more aware, Darren, of, of this pattern of like, shit, hang on. All these people that are suiciding and I wanted a suicide. If you've got one reason not to, it's enough for today. And then we mm. can worry about, you know, um, we're not going to try and fix me for two weeks time. Right now, if you're feeling suicidal, you just need to be fixed in 10 minutes or an hour or two hours just to stop you actually doing it so that you can have a second chance. So for my whole life, I've been, I guess, part of my personality. I'm a bit of a solutions person and finding ways to fix things and and, and all different stuff. So I've gone, you know, if, if that's me, that's probably someone else as well. So sort of a, the concept started to form, you know, in my head. What what if? What if I could, if that, if that, if I come up with a reason not to, because of my kids or my dog or my footy team or something or other, then maybe someone else. So it's sort of, that was where I guess the original idea started to 
for men to guess. Well, it's such a simple idea, isn't it, why the book's called Just One Reason. When did you sort of get the sense this could resonate with other people? Because sometimes you just think, well, that maybe is just something that works for me. But when did you get the sense that actually this could resonate for a lot of people going through something similar? At and around that same time, I had a hole-in-the-wall cafe bar. And what I detected within there is that the the customers became my counsellors and I became theirs and not all the same people, of course, you know? And um, mm. so I had a pair of business class Qantas seats that I'd purchased like secondhand, like online or somewhere or other. And I had them inside the coffee shop. So if you knew that someone needed to have a chat, I'd be like, come on, let's go to business class and sit down and have a chat. And so there's a bit of informal counselling uh, going on. And a lot of people were also informally counselling me because I was in a really, really dark place and a lot of people could clearly tell something wasn't right with me. And so the book sort of got created within the shop. You know, a lot of people had different ideas and and things to contribute in terms of if it was like this and it was like that. So it was sort of like it was a, what would you call it, like a brainstorming session that was evolving over a period of time and then that became, you know, scribbled notes onto a bit of A4 paper, which ended up becoming stapled paper and whatnot else. And then eventually I got the courage. I, I think I sat on it for like four years or five years and, and just tweaked it here and there. And then eventually I got the courage to um, take it to the next level and start to get something uh, designed. Because I was always worried about what my kids would think if they found out that their dad was suicidal. So it really put a big stopper mm. on me producing the book for a long time. Did you seek any other sort of advice and, and information from outside of your own experiences when, when you put together this book? In terms of advice on the book, um, yep. So it got, I had it uh, workshopped with a few different people and we, where we take draft copies and just, we just went to like, you know, like a meeting room with a few people on a workshop at a couple of times. Then um, the person who did the editing, her husband's a GP. So um, I knew that he was getting to look at it. And then my neighbour, by coincidence, was also a GP. So um, there was a few people along the lines that, you know, had a fair bit of credibility. And I was scared shitless, Darren, that what if I fucked up and I was wrong and, and the book caused harm? So um, so that was also a really big hurdle for me to climb. And um, and so, yeah, so it, it, went, it went far and wide with a few different people, including like one of my best mates who'd been through one of Australia's worst ever tragedies and was a survivor and, you know, uh, prospered very well. And, you know, he, he gave it his blessing. And then my mum got a draft of the copy. And my mum, um, sadly, um, she had a very horrific uh, childhood and teenage years. And um, like as bad as it gets for like abuse and all sorts of things. And when my mum um, got the draft copy and she gave it back to me, she just she just gave me like a a bit of a tear, you know, and she goes, I wish I'd had this when I was a little girl. So I knew in that very moment, Darren, that the book applied mm. to male and female and that shit that had happened to a person 70 years ago is no different than shit that happens to a person today. You know, sexual abuse is sexual abuse. It doesn't get better or worse 70 years later. It's, it's, it's the same emotion is my layman's version of that. Mm. And just to go in a bit more detail, so the book is a, a suicide prevention a notebook or handbook and it's it's sort of given people just I guess food for thought on what's your one reason and is it sort of that what's your one reason today and trying to find that as they work their way through the book how does it work in a practical sense once someone has got the book so the book kicks off straight up um that it you know it says that this book's going to become your friend 
and that you can tell your friend anything and then it won't judge you. And so there's a lot of, you know, resistance out there that people don't want to open up and share stuff to people because they're worried, you know, what are they going to, what are they, what's the person going to think? Are they going to be judged? So, you know, I put it really straight up that the book's your friend and, and it will never judge you. You can tell it anything you want. And so, and then I go in and tell my story of how, how it was for me. And then the book leads you through a series of questions of, you know, to, to help you prompt us like, so, you know, one of the questions in there, Darren is like, what don't you want to happen after you go? And, and and that's one of the stopping points straight up is like, so if it was, oh, I wouldn't want a, a particular person, let's say, to get your ute. It's like, well, don't freaking kill yourself tomorrow because what you, you know, what you don't want to happen is going to happen. So it's sort mm-hmm. of just, it's, a, it's sort of just to stop you in your tracks a bit. And there's a, there's a few pointy questions along those lines. And, um, you know, when I was writing all the book, I never really realized until later that it, it actually basically is a like a, a, a full toolkit. It was only like that New South Wales Health pointed it out to me just how effective it had been with them. And that basically it was an it was a an A to Z toolkit. And I'd never I just mm-hmm. I thought it was a book. And so, you know, that was not something that I ever really thought of it in that regard, I guess. Mm. Well, and it is designed, and I called it a pocketbook before, but that it is designed as a pocketbook, isn't it? So that people can have it on their person, and it's it's quite discreet when you when you're using them. And that and that was a deliberate design factor for you, wasn't it? Hundred percent. Yeah. So you know, apart from the discreet sides of it, all Darren is just like I based it on how I feel in that situation, and it's like when I'm, you know, if I'm feeling pretty shit. The last thing I'm going to try and do is, you know, or want to do rather, if someone says, oh, you really need to read, you know, Deepak Chopra's book or a book of some, some size, it's novel size. It's like, that's just feels to me a bridge too far. If, but if someone said, do you want to live or don't you? And if I could give you a book and you could read most of it in five minutes, would you give it a go? And so yeah. that was me also. And so that sort of, you know, the discreetness of it all also came into the compact of like, you, you, you really just can't expect too much of a person who's feeling pretty average to want to sit down and go, okay, here's, um, here's a 280 page book and it's going to take you four weeks to read it. It's like, it's not going to happen. So, mm. and, and I'd always thought that, you know, I visualized myself sitting on a flight, for example, and you'd want to be able to sit there and have a look through it without the person next to you they've already worked out what the cover's about what you're reading and they're going fuck who's this you know i wonder what's happening with this person in, in in their world so that was all part of it and the discreet part means you can you can give it to someone darren without making a big song and dance of it you know you can just sort of just discreetly slip it into someone's desk drawer or into their bag or go here why don't you put this in your pocket and have a flick later and you don't even have to explain what it is so mm. if you're giving them a normal size paper book paperback book then you know, that's, that, those opportunities are harder, I feel anyway, to give a person that's got mental health screaming on the front cover. Mm. Yeah, well, I was going to, it's interesting you bring that up because that's where I was going to allude to next. Uh, because I, now full disclosure, for whatever reason, I thought this was a, an online book that you downloaded. So I sat down on Friday and I thought, I'm doing my prep for the podcast, I'm going to download uh, the book. And then I realised that now it's a hardcover book, that, oh, sorry, a pocket book that you have to buy. So I've gone ahead and I've bought two copies. Oh, and the good. reason I say that yeah. is 
I want to have a copy on hand of if I need it or if someone I know needs it, but I've got a, a mate of mine, and it's a bit of a long story, I'll share it with you now, that I used to work in the funeral industry okay. many, many moons ago. And when uh, it would have been around 12 years ago now, maybe 10, 10, 12 years ago, we went to a scene, we were called out to a scene and we used to sort of have to go to the scene and, and transfer the bodies from the scene to, to the morgues at the hospital and obviously eventually to the funeral homes. And we went to one particular scene that was just so horrific that there was eight people there. Huh. And I think of the eight, six ended up going off on workers' compensation leave. And a number of people that were there, just their careers ended pretty much that night because wow. they just couldn't do it anymore. And one, and the guy that I took with me, and it was my call to take him because he was a bit older. I had a, had a choice of a younger guy or an older guy who's more experienced. And I said, I'll go with the older guy that's more experienced. And he's really struggled. Like he just, he just went into a really dark place uh, after we went there. I saw him the other day. And, and I thought he, he just seemed to me to be struggling and he's really fought what he sort of calls the black dog, as, as many people call yep. it, since yep. that night. And I thought, I really want to give him this book. But I, and, and so your, your suggestion is that just maybe when I go and have a coffee or something, just discreetly sort of say, look, have a read of this. And I guess because my sort of thinking is I don't want him to judge that, oh, do you think I, I'm suicidal at the moment or something? I'm not going that bad. You know what I mean? Like, I'm worried that maybe he would think that. I mean, what would be your advice on, on sort of how to approach that that moment? I, re I reckon that's probably the best question I've ever been asked. And, um, and it's a book of love, ultimately. Mm. So if you're giving that to someone, like, you completely care for that person. So, you know, you can, the person can just receive that as, as a complete gift. It's not, this is, this is a cure or any of those sorts of things. It's just, here's a, here's a book of love just as, and then that person knows that you're in their team. So that's sort of, you know, I'm feeling a bit, you know, you can't probably see, but like, I'm already thinking like, ah, you know, that's when, you, when you're in that space, Darren, it, it's just to know that someone else knows or cares enough to have done that is like already can be a game changer in a person's world because mental health is a lonely space for, your, for, for the individual. Mm. And, and so, you know, what I, what I believe happens is that a lot of, like when, when, when trauma's around, a lot of people on like that are maybe in a circle or close to the circle of that person, they don't know what to do. So they're like, if they're family, they're like, oh, we don't want to, you know, say you're a 25 year old person like that. They, they want to help and they're not sure what, what, where, where the boundary lines are. And they go, oh, he's probably got all his mates. So, you know, I'll, I'll back off a bit. And then the mates are like, um, shit, I don't know. I, I, I won't get in too close because he's probably got his sister and his aunt or his mum or someone or whoever that are helping them out. And then ultimately no one helps. Mm -hmm. So you sit, you sit in that space alone because no one knows what, what to do next. So the book is an icebreaker. And um, so when, the person who did a fair bit of IT and stuff for me, it turned out I didn't know this part of it. And he's a really good friend of mine. I didn't know this part of their life is um, his wife's dad had suicided. And so when, you know, the book made it to her bedside table at some point while it was in its draft form and she contacted me, she said, I wish this had been around. My dad might still be alive. So in terms of giving it over, I think you, I think you just give it, from the, the purest place is that you just want to help someone that you truly care about. Mm. 
And I think that's and, and that's what I often say in terms of depression. I mean, it, the black dog thrives in the darkness, doesn't he? And, and he and he really recedes in the light. And I get the sense from what I've read about uh, the Just One Reason, it's it's become more than just a book, hasn't it? It's it's a real movement now, and there's a there's a real community that sort of has coalesced uh, around this this very simple idea, which is one of the most beautiful things about it. It's 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 just incredible you know once um once we got got going and I, I couldn't put a time frame on it but it was fast is like i started to get letters from people and and thank you letters and stories about tragedy and but then also stories of success and 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 all this sort of stuff and so it sort of just evolved itself they were going you know what why don't we put up a um a support thing online just for our readers who can engage with each other. So we created a framework of, of basic rules, like not too much, but just, just basic stuff in there just to give everyone safety within the group. So, you know, in the first, say, couple of months, Darren, people were coming into the group and trying to like offer theories and solutions and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And so, so we hit that on the head because the feedback was that people don't want theories and solutions. They just want to be heard and be able to put their voice out there and things and potentially talk to another um, person who's had some form of a lived experience that might be similar. And so in a short period of time, there was like 20 people in the group. And then, you know, the group all of a sudden had a hundred people. And these are all readers or friends of readers and people affected and stuff. So then, um, you know, as things evolved, they end up being people that I got to know a little bit online that I've never met, but I felt had an, a, you know, an element of trust and they were like trained in the field. So they're like psychologists and, counselors and things so then we created a set of rules to go you can be in here and you can observe but you can't push your business it's a it's a free service so it's not trying to take someone off to the side and, and you know and woo them away as a customer all those sorts of things it's just helped us be eyes into this system and keep things safe so then we put moderators into it and it, and it got up to five and it grew to 500 people and i think today it's got um, an active community in there around um, the world now of 1800 people mm. and it runs itself 24 hours a day the moderator the main moderator has just been overseas on a holiday and, and she's continued her role on holidays overseas and it's like an amazing thing and um, out of that um, where you say it's taken on a life of its own there's a lady in there Ellie who joined our group some time ago and she's the most amazing and inspirational clever artist you could come across and so i started to like engage with her a bit because she'd put some of her nice paintings up just to cheer people up and i really 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 liked what she was doing so then i started to like come up with ideas and go why don't we do a painting for this person's like we had a guy come into our group one night and um he was completely uh suicidal and in a had poured his heart out into the group for hours on end and the group's writing back to him and and people were checking in on him and a lot of a lot of good stuff went down and so within 24 hours darren he, he turned the corner and he went from being a person who was suicidal to something within the group flicked a switch and mm. now he wanted to be a helper it's like fuck this is 24 hours this is a person that last night had enough and was checking out and within 24 to 48 hours he's back in there now offering support to other people in the same situation so 
some of the, I don't know what you call it, like the little ideas and just different analogies and things that I, that I have, Darren, is like, I think in society, one of the big gaps uh, that's out there is that women are really, really good at what I call circling the wagons, which is like, you know, an old Western type thing that they used to park all the wagons around in the circle at the nighttime and all huddle in the middle with their fire to protect themselves from animals and other, other sort of invasions. And I feel women are really, really good when the chips are down, the women get around each other really, really well. And the men that they're not so good as that, but that night I felt like the group got around this particular fellow. So then I had some art painted for him and, mm. um, and then I sent it to him and had it printed and sent it to him, you know, just as a, a, a keepsake. And so that's evolved now where I think we're up to painting number 20 now that we do. And, um, and so Ali gets paid to do that. And then I gifted on to, to certain people. So, um, so that sort of evolved out of the group as well. So it's, and, and I don't know what's going to come next. Like there's certainly, I get scared about the size of how things are becoming so that I can't maintain it. But then I have to also put my hands in the air a bit and just hope that the universe is going to keep looking after me. And so far it has. So. Well, that's what I love about this so much because, again, it, because it's such a simple idea to say just one reason, but depending on what that reason is, that can actually be now give people purpose to not only kick on for one day, but then kick on, as you're saying, for the rest of their lives. So that's, so whether it's art, whether it's being one of the support people within that community, that that's where the power really comes from, doesn't it? To sort of just say, it's not just about now one day, it's about the rest of your life. And you can yeah. actually start to see that from someone that's suicidal. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, there's a, there's a lady who wrote to me and um, she's had a, um, and, and uh, what, what some of the, I guess that the, the really, really sad things that some of the things that, you know, I get exposed to now, Darren, is like just hearing how young um, people are in this situation. And her son had been in a really dark space since he was eight. And um, so he's homeschooled and doesn't, doesn't do well, you know, generally, not, 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 not necessarily academically, like he's just struggling with whatever's happening for him in his world. And he hadn't picked up a book in four years. So he's still only 12 and he hadn't, hadn't bothered to read a single thing. And so she wrote to me and said, what do you, you know, do you think your book could help? I go, I actually don't know. I, I honestly don't know. All I can tell you is at the price that it is, it's worth the punt because it's low cost. And I said, but you, you read it first. I said, I, I can't judge whether he should or shouldn't. I said, you need to do that for yourself and maybe take the book to his, you know, whoever his um, clinician team is and let them decide anyway. So they, that all that happened, they decided, yes, they'd let him have a copy of the book. They had no idea what would happen. And um, anyway, the woman writes to me and says, it's the first book that he's actually picked up and read in four years <laughs> and he's doing well. Fuck, yeah. how good's that? So, Sorry. No, that's fine, mate. That just makes me feel so fucking good. Imagine that, that little book. Hey, little mm. boy. Sorry. On that sort of thing, Stuart, I mean, how big a barrier is it to, and you sort of, you touched on this before, where I think that the trap we fall into, and I've even fallen into it myself, I had a friend of mine, share some really, really bad news with me 
uh, last week. And we spoke about it for probably five minutes or so, five, ten minutes maybe. And after I got off the phone, I was just going over in my mind, why didn't I say this to him? Why didn't I say that to him? Why didn't I ask him this? Why didn't I ask him that? As if anything I could have said in that moment could have actually made him feel better. What? But what, yeah, what I realise sort of having reflected on it is I think just me listening to him and, and being there to support him in that moment was really all he needed. But how, how much of a barrier is it for people to say, look, I guess for people, and, and I think men in particular, to see me, other people's mental health as their problem to solve. Do you know what I'm sort of getting at there? How big a barrier do you think that is to get people to say, look, you're going to be dealing here with problems maybe you can't solve, but it's the support structure you put around people that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think, and, I, and I'm even, even I've got better at this, I guess, in, in, since uh, the book's come out, is I think people are scared to have a conversation because they might think that it's a trigger. And what mm. if I talk about suicidal mental health and it makes them worse? And, and I think what's becoming pretty clear in the science world is that conversations are good things and that the person who thinks they should have that conversation with a mate or a family person is, is really in fear of what if, and, um, and it just continues to be what you just said. They're not just, just, just to chat to someone could often be just the difference and whether it's a one minute chat or a five minute chat. And, um, you know, I had a person here at the pub in, inside the last four weeks and, um, and, and he was, really in a really really bad space and um and he was traveling on motorbikes with they all worked for um, bhp they were heading heading south uh to victoria to go to the um the gp at phillip island and so i've i don't know how long they've all worked together for but clearly they're good enough mates to go away on a 10-day motorbike trip and stay in shared accommodation all that sort of stuff so that I'll, I'll make the assumption that they were good enough mates and he um, he broke down a little bit uh, in the pub, and and opened up to me, but in front of his mates, and revealed his mental health issues, and they were pretty pretty serious. But his mates was were, were just their jaws were on the floor. They'd worked with this guy for however long, and they had no clue whatsoever that he was in such a dark space. And and now he's by opening up to me, but doing it in front of them, it was almost like a coming out for him, if that, mm. if, that, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I chatted to his mates later that night and then again in the morning and said like, this has just been a miracle because he's one of the ones that might slip through the net and all of a sudden you go, fuck, no one knew. Mm. We didn't have a clue, thought everything was good in his world because he's married and got two little kids and he's got a high paying job and all these other things. And now that they're, they're comfortable enough because I've, I've got, I have a feeling that through um, their work, that there's, there's programs there that, that teach, you know, how to have a conversation and what signs to look for and that sort of thing. So I think that he left here in a better place than when he arrived because now he's got a support network that actually can hear him. And do you get the sense that the, the conversations around these things are changing, particularly with the younger generation coming through, that there's a different, we're, we're starting to get it to move in the right direction with mental health? I, you know what? I, I think it's a miracle because, yeah, absolutely, yes. My book, for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're, things happened like in, you know, in production and 
different things happen here and there and they get a few little some get a, a mark here and i won't like ever put an imperfect book into the into an envelope and send it so you know i accumulate a few books here and there but so i always leave them at my house just a, in a pile for others to have with whether it's friends and family visitors whatever and so the books um keep disappearing <laughs> and and i'm like who's taking the books you know like and i'm not worried that they're going i'm just like i'm just surprised that they just trickle out and so then one night at like midnight uh, i get a phone call and it's from uh, my youngest son and he's got a friend who's in a really really bad way and he's got the book and he wants to know if he could come and sit with me and have a chat so that answered the question right there is like the young ones are talking and they're mm -hmm. circling their own wagons and it's like, wow, I honestly thought my book's probably not going to be picked up by too many teenagers. And it's, it's just, I'm, I'm just stunned at the, at the volume of teenagers that have gravitated towards my book. And, and I found out all about all this direct firsthand because of my own kids. And, mm. and it's like, wow, how, how good is this? Like, so the teenagers, I think 20 years from now it'll be a different place because they've got to get off to university or go and find their own way in their world darren and i think that that's they're the they're, they're like the new beacons because whatever's going on for 40 50 60 70 year olds like you know there hasn't been a big enough dent put into the system but here's this sort of cohort of 15 to 20 year olds coming through that really get it not afraid to have the conversation they're circling the wagons around their mates the number of sadly teenagers that have already been exposed to suicide by the time they turn 18 is, is, is incredible. I, I can't remember growing up and, and knowing of one and my kids, I think have been exposed to three already by mm. the time they're 18 through schoolmates and different things. So I think um, that's, that's the future right there. And that, that group right now that are 15 to 20, um, that's, that's, that's the change. And that, that's where, at some point in time, if I get to sit down and have a cup of tea with the Prime Minister and the powers that be, I go like, that's the group to focus on. Like, um, th 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 your future results will come from them. Yeah, well, I think they get it. I mean, I spoke to uh, Pat Calabria from Lifeline a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, and we we're talking about, yeah, trying to get mental health on the same plane as physical health. And people sort of talk about them in the same way and start thinking about them in the same way. And I think that younger generation is is starting to get that. And I think they're much more comfortable. Like I'll tell anyone that, you know, I was on my feet all day Saturday. My back was killing me the next day. And I told anyone that would listen uh, how, how sore my back was. But I wouldn't have wouldn't necessarily be as comfortable talking about, uh, you know, if you're having a day where you're struggling with your mental health. But I think the younger generation are more comfortable to do that. And as you say, when someone does it, they know how to set up those support structures as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think they're just happy to to to, to um to be there. And you know, I, that's sort of what I think older older males particularly don't know what to do next, and the kids aren't afraid. Um, to ask that question or to put their arms out to their mates, which is a pretty um, crazy good thing. And, you know, I had some teenagers here just recently and and someone brought their child in because they were really worried about the child. And what what became really obvious is that actually we need to be worried about the dad. And, um, and, the, and the kids are 19 and 22, I think they are, thereabouts. And they're like amazing kids. 
And um, so the dad was all worried about them, but it was the other way around, you know, the mm. kids needed to be worried about the dad. And so the conversation was had that it was out there in the open space. And that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. So talking to these um, particular kids, I, I always ask a question, Darren, it's like, if, if you're in the shit for whatever the reason is, and it's two o'clock in the morning and whether you've been locked up by the cops because you've been drunk or you've pranged your car or you're stuck somewhere and you can't get home, you've got no money. You're like, what, like, you know, a, a, a mini disaster, let's say that can be easily fixed, but it's, who can you ring at two in the morning and you know they're going to jump in the car or they're going to put a hundred bucks in your bank account and not ask you any questions, not judge you. So that, that, that's your circle. Mm -hmm. That's your circle and, and it takes effort. It's just whether it's a male, female, you know, marital relationship, like boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. It's like friendships take effort. And um, if you get that call, you have to get out of bed and you go, fuck, I can't be bothered, you know, and, and do it. And um, mm -hmm. so these, these kids already had those networks in place. It was... It was just remarkable to hear the girl talking about how how much she loves going to work because they're all like her best friends and and with this tragedy that had happened in in their world that week before she had her network already and she was 19 she was fully aware of who they were they were aware of all the situation and like that's light years ahead of us 50 year olds yeah exactly and you you, you... You sort of wonder who who would you be comfortable uh, to go to, and it sort of takes you a moment to think about it, and then and sometimes you you are hesitant to sort of reach out to people uh, for for because you think well have they got something else going on, or there, there's all sorts of sort of thoughts I guess that come into it. I mean, talking about if we if we move now to to your other big venture, Stuart, and talk about focus on on this sort of building of communities, and I'll tell you if if someone had to come to me say even three months ago and said, yeah, we're going to be having this conversation. We're going to be talking about mental health pub. Uh, I would have sort of thought, oh, I'm not, not sure about that. That's sort of, should we mix those two things? But I'll tell you what really changed me. It was a personal experience. And this is what happens with a lot of people. I think when you experience think yourself and you sort of see work and how it can work, uh, you, you sort of come around to a new way of thinking. And I organise, uh, I'm, I'm the main event manager for a local craft beer festival, which happened to just happen on the last weekend. And one of our things that we do during the year is in, you know, quote unquote, to do some research uh, to, for our craft beer festival, we gather up a group of the guys that are on the committee and we go to some of the local breweries. And this particular day, there's about six of us, six or seven of us. We all went to one of the local breweries who had a vinyl and uh, a vinyl and beer day, and we're all sort of music lovers. So we went and flicked through the wow. vinyl. And just across the course of the day, everyone just had this little moment of vulnerability where we just let our guard down and said something that was going on, you know, in our lives and where we were, where we were at, you know, from a mental health point of view. And you know, it culminated in a guy that I I sort of knew in passing, but had got to know better across the day, and he really sort of opened up to me about his journey over the last couple of years. Uh, and you know, we we were going out. Most of us were driving. No one sort of went out there to, with the with the idea of we're going to have a massive day and and go and get drunk or anything like that. It was about that sort of male bonding and male connection, and it became within that group a real safe space for us. To share those stories wow. uh, across. So when you said about the the mental, when I found out about the mental health pub, I went that really resonated with me because I thought I've experienced that 
in that sort of small setting in, in that one day. But I'm sure that's what you're thinking. I mean, was that the sort of thinking you had in putting together the Deep Water Hotel <laughs> when you when you first came up with the idea? There's a, there's there's a few things, a few answers in there, Darren. So probably I just I'm just sort of gonna see whether I answer it all at once and scramble it or try and put it into a bit clearer parts for the for someone who's going to be listening to this is part one is the pub's the hub and and you know I've traveled so extensively fortunately throughout my life like especially in Australia like I've I, you know I've, I, I literally tell people I'm a human GPS for Australia if you can think of somewhere and I have a photographic memory and I'd say, oh, is that, the, is that the intersection where there's this, this, and this? And they just look at me in shock that I can recall a location that I might not have been to in Australia somewhere in 15 years. So, but, you know, I noticed just everywhere and some of the things that have really, really sort of hurt Australia in other ways is that when communities lose the pub or they lose the doctor or the bank closes down and all these sorts of things, is like the community's actually, you know, on a slow death spiral. And so... The pub's the hub, and that's probably where two farmers are more likely to meet and maybe bond, talk from one end to the bar, or two mates might turn up there, that sort of thing. So it's like if you if you give someone, you know, they they say, um, I think there's this thing that says like, you know, build it and they'll come or whatever, something along those lines. Mm. And so I feel like, you know, if you put it out there that this is a pub that, is, is a good spot to go to and have a cold beer. And if you're feeling vulnerable or whatever this, you know, whatever's going on in your world, it's probably an okay spot that the barman might be, you know, a good listener or other bits and pieces where you just, if you just feel safe, you can, you're a chance to start to chat. And so if, if you're in a small community, where do you actually go? Because there's no doctors, there's no, there's no clinicians. You can't get in to see a psychologist for three months or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so it just seemed to me when I was saying earlier on, like I just feel like I've spent my whole life being a problem solver. And it just feels like, this just feels like the right type of solution, particularly um, in rural areas. And so, you know, that I guess is part one is that this has probably got to be the first outlet for a person who doesn't know where else to go and, and hasn't got anywhere else to go. And, and it can be as simple as a conversation can start to improve your mental health. So that was part one of the motivation. Part two um, of all of that is, I think, I think governments get elected on a lot of feel-good bullshit and promises, and and ultimately they spend four years doing one report that says we're going to do another report and form a committee for that report, and, mm. and fuck all happens realistically. And so part of it was to go, I'm one person, I'm average in that, you know, I'm not blessed that I was academically educated. I didn't go to private school, all these other bits and pieces. It's like, if I'm one bloke who's got the balls to like nut up and put something out there, then what could the government really do if they got fair income about this? So I sort of, and I like, I like doing things that can be repeated, Darren. So I feel like mm. all of, all in behind all of this was, if I'm right, and I, and I have had a lot of confidence that I would be, and and I and, and that's already proven itself. I've no idea. Already in the space of a month, we must have already had two hundred mental health conversations at the pub, and it's scalable. It's like if people, mm. if people just care enough, then then all you need is love, 
And so a bit of love, a bit of care, genuine compassion, and you're off and running. And so this can be transferred to any pub around Australia, probably around the world, but around Australia, and it doesn't cost anything. All you have to do is give a shit and, and, and you can start to let people know that this is the environment, you know, there's training courses that bar staff can do and pub, pub owners can do that to have safe mental health talks and understand a bit more about how mental health is. And it's in every community. So the, the chances are, if you've got 10 people sitting at your bar, three of them have probably got a mental health problem right now. And, and you just don't know it because it's not a broken leg with a bit of plaster on it, but they're, they're there and they've got it. So that was part of my motivation was to show government that there's alternative methods that exist and they don't need to be expensive and it can be scaled out. And I'm quite confident that before too long, we'll hear that there's a second pub that's that's learnt from our model and go, gonna go and do it. It's like, if I went to one of, you know, I don't know where you go, but like a lot of the health models that are out there, Darren, there's people doing absolutely amazing things. And every year or two years, they have to go and beg and do a 50 page document and, and beg to some government department to fund it. And you know, that, that takes years and all of that, that sort of stuff just doesn't get enough support. So mine was like, I couldn't be bothered going down that bullshit process. And um, so I'm like, I'll just do one and show you. I don't want mm. to come and ask and give you a proposal in a PDF format and hope that you say yes. It's like, I'm actually just going to go and do it. I don't have to research it. I've got my own instincts. And the pub was dirt cheap. And um, we're going, you know what? Let's borrow against our house and go and have a crack at this. So that's sort of, that's where it's got to today. <laughs> well, I mean, the point that I guess I was trying to make too with that long-winded sort of introduction that I did was... Yeah, the environment that we created today became that just conducive to those honest conversations that you can have when you're feeling safe. Uh, and I think that's the environment seems like you've, you've tried to create a deep water and you have created a deep water. When you talk about you've had so many mental health conversations, I mean, is that just between the barman and, and say someone that's come in or is that just something formal that you've done uh, that you sort of formalise within the pub atmosphere to say this is what we're going to be talking about today? Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a, a firm believer in life um, that you've got to get in the current and flow with the current and if you try to swim against the current at some point you just can't keep up. You've either got to get out of the river or you drown. And so I never try to force anything. And so I just let things be and, and, and the universe looks after the rest. So here's um, the last 24 hours at this hotel. So a lady rings me uh, yesterday or brings the pub's number. She's traveling from Glen Innes. She's disabled, wants to know if she's got a room. Anyway, comes in here. Within five minutes, she's realized that this is not just any old pub. Just because you know we've got a bit of art around the place and then there's a poster about my book and, and a few other bits and pieces so it turns out she's with brave hearts and she's doing a podcast that night at nine o'clock and we yeah. don't know who she is so the universe is there she's so she's still sitting in our pub right now and um that she wants to have a chat to me after this and so she's like going, i can't believe this is what, what, what that she's actually ended up in this particular pub she's like i could have i was on booking.com i could have stayed anywhere but somehow or another the universe po popped her here for a reason then yesterday afternoon a father and son were traveling from uh back up from bathurst to somewhere north and the father was a 
humongous old fellow. Like he's like six foot six or thereabouts. And anyway, see, they've they've stopped, had a schnitty, a couple of cold drinks. And this is the other part, Darren, is like people just assume that you go to a pub to drink beer to get drunk. Mm-hmm. And that's probably 5% of the people that actually come in. So these two guys in here yesterday, one had a soda water, um, the other one had a long black with his, with their schnitties. So he came back out from the toilets because there's a sign in the toilets there that I've got written up about, you know, something to do with mental health. And the dad came up to me and just said, oh, this is, this is a bit different around here. My son uh, just had a really shit situation seven days ago and, and whatnot. And we had a quick little chat about all of that. And he left, bought a copy of my book and left and, and so forth. But we had a stand-up conversation there and then asked him a couple of questions. He asked me a couple of what's, you know, how does he process this with his son? And and so he said, I might just give him a copy of your book. I go, that's one way of letting him know that that that, that you're there in his team. And then um, another uh, a lady was here out the front yesterday afternoon and uh, having a drink. And, and um, anyway, she opened up i said how's your day going she's like it's actually shit my son's in brisbane he's in hospital he's in he's running with the wrong people he's got mental health issues and he's she's like she's expecting a phone call at some point in time but it's just not going to be a a good phone call that something's happened that he's been beaten really really badly or he's been arrested and he's in jail like she just knows it's anyway so it's it's having a huge impact on her own mental health Mm. and so you know, we only chatted for five minutes and um, she felt good enough to just instantly open up to a stranger like, you know, we don't know each other, but here, here she is telling me what's going on in her world that weekend. And, and that's another form of mental health is she, she's got trauma and stress around what's going to, what, what might end up of her, her, um, her off the rails 18 or 20 year old child while this conversation was on. A staff member from here came up to me like completely bawling her um, her eyes out, and and, I, and I'm just like, oh, to, to, to the person I was chatting to, going, I said, oh, excuse me for one second, and she just came up to me. She goes, that tall old man that I was just chatting to. She goes, he reminds me of my husband who died last year, mm. and so she was just, you know, beside herself that she felt that she'd just seen her ex husband type of thing again, or someone who reminded her. So we had a a hug for like five minutes. But the fact that she felt safe as my employee to come straight to me and 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 put our arms around each other and just we didn't even talk with I just held her. It's like that's what this place is for. Well, what you've said there, mate, is the the most powerful part of it is that you've set up a place where how you're going is not a throwaway line, right? People are going in there and they know in that space if someone says how are you going they really want to know like how are you doing it's a it's a it's a check-in for that person and hopefully they say yep we're definitely we're, we're doing all right having a good day but if they're not they're safe to share that so that's i think you've just encapsulated there the power of of what you've created there i think the, the deep water the last question on this before we're getting towards the end of our time I want you sort of what what do you envisage the future of something like deep water is? I mean, are you sort of capturing any data, if you like, or anything that you can take to governments and say, listen, this is something actually worthwhile 
rolling out on a on a wider platform, uh, or is it just something you can actually throw out there to the uh, to the hotel community itself, the sort of that hospitality community, and say, look, this is what we're doing. We're getting a great results here. This is something that you can you can roll out. I mean, what do you think the future is, and maybe what's the best path forward for something like this? So I feel like being like sort of a problem solver. Like I feel like I'm okay at looking into the future. So I, I, I foresee in the not too distant future, because I already get around Australia a bit now, giving talks to, to different events and things. And I'm in Darwin at, at the International Men's Health Conference uh, in like 10 days time or something like that talking up there. And so I know already they're gonna be asking questions about the pub. And so I think that that's going to be like what starts to happen is that I'm, I'm going to get to talk more and more about this to larger audiences uh, about what we've done here. And, and the fact that like, say in the space of 30 days, we've got a counselor now um, who works in the new England region, who now calls in every Monday just to show his face, just to let, I think he's not expecting to bump into anyone here that needs a talk. I think he's just showing to me that, He's always going to turn up and um, he has like a, a run that he does out to diff different rural places and farms and things. And he's a super fellow, this bloke. And so in the space of a month now, we've got a person here who's, ac who's accessible 24 hours a day. We've got his mobile number. He goes, I don't care who it is, what, what for. He goes, give my card if a person comes in here and they need more than, you know, what's going on. Give him my card. So in the space hmm. of a month, that person's turned up. Then we've got a, a mental health conference that's going to now get formed in the New England area and held here uh, at the pub in the new year. We've got a, um, a another lady who's a champion. She's called um, the Barbering Bikey, and she <laughs> focuses on mental health and gives a talk and things. And so what she does is um, the community nominate a person who looks a bit scruffy, could do with a makeover. But it's all based around mental health and getting getting a group together and having a yarn. So that person gets to sit in the chair and they, you know, she might clean the beard up and change it shirt on him and give him a haircut and that sort of stuff. But it's a bit, it's a bit of a laugh, but it's it's mm. still got it's got an, a mental health background behind it. And then in January we're putting on a um, a sheepdog trial because we're on a <clears throat> we're on an acre where we are. So um, our backyard at the pub here is going to get set up and have a sheepyard, a sheepyard dog trial. And so all of this has come through our coffee shop window, conversations about mental health and what can we do to get farmers together and create things so that they can come to this environment that doesn't have to just be based around alcohol. So mm. we're only a month, <laughs> sorry. And I'm like going far out, like at any more of being packed into that month. I couldn't have seen this two months ago that this would have already happened. So. I think um, pretty quickly, we, we've got a scoreboard that we're unofficially keeping already of how many mental health conversations that we've had on a week to week basis. And we're gonna get that properly put up mm. um, shortly. And we'll just update that when we feel like it maybe over a week or two so that no one feels that they left here. We got the texture out and updated the scoreboard just so that people can see the volume of the chats that are happening here. And I think at some point in time through the context I've got Darren, like. I reckon that someone will, will be able to get a PhD student or someone like that that can actually come here and, and do their PhD on, on what's happened at the pub and yep. get some data on all of that. And then I think that's government-like data and reports. Yeah. So, and, and so does, you know, the medical world, which is 
fair enough too. So if we can come up with some stuff in six months time that says in the space of six months, one pub's had, you know, 915 mental health conversations. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened. We've had these events, we've had two and a half thousand people that have come through the place that have now been exposed to mental health, all these sorts of things. It's like the numbers are already overwhelming. The, and, and at some point, I'm sure we'll document that into something that others will go, shit, this guy's onto something here. Like I know just from the contacts that I've had from around the world already from doctors in other countries that have messaged me and written to me and given me like, you know, high fives by via email. And they're just, just wanting to sit back and watch and just see how this whole story evolves. And it's absolutely fantastic already. Like to think that in the space of an hour yesterday, there were four stories. It's like, fuck, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, well, that's right, mate. Look, I'm I'm so glad that we did this, Stuart, on a on a Monday morning because it's been an inspiration for me to talk to you today. I was a bit, I had the big beer festival on the weekend, and I was feeling a bit flat after that. You get the, through that sort of big thing that we planned for six months, and we've what raised over thirty thousand dollars here for that, our local community, so it's been a massive success. But you kind of have that little bit of a letdown at the end of it. So it was good. This conversation's come at just the right time for me. It's a good pick me up. Uh, for the rest of the week and i hope it is for our listeners as well uh before i let you go mate give a few plugs so how do people uh find out more about the book and and, and potentially even join that just one reason community and also how do people find out more about the, the the work that you're doing at deep water uh so the community is on facebook so you just search just one reason the name of the book and then um if you but you search uh just one reason and then it'll come up like as a page or a group so you go to the group and then there's a little couple of quick questions you have to answer and then um, a moderator will probably see that and let you in within about 15 minutes usually um what else so that's that part other questions so the books the website's named after the books so it's just justonereason.com.au so you, but if you search just one reason like it usually comes up in google somewhere yep. and um what was that and the pub is and just um is deepwaterhotel.com.au excellent Okay, well, thanks for your time today, Stuart. We will certainly be, be watching your progress and I'd actually like to, maybe we could even touch base in a year's time or something like that and just see where you've gone. Because I think, I really think this, again, it's a simple idea, the Deepwater Hotel, but I just get the sense it's going to, something's going to really take off out of this because uh, it's it's something that I think uh, is already working by the sands of it. But I, but I agree with you 100%. I think it, this can work on a much larger scale and I'd love to see them be popping up all over, all over Australia and indeed the world. So there you have it. After I ended there, Stuart and I talked for another few minutes and we, we certainly reflected that we could have talked for another two hours. It was just such a free-flowing and honest conversation. And we're so lucky that Stuart made some time to talk to us today and share some of the unique insights that he's picked up over the last few years, really immersing himself in this space. Now, if this conversation has raised any particular concerns for you today, we would encourage you to reach out to any of the support lines, obviously Lifeline 13 11 14 which I referenced during that conversation, obviously our last conversation that we had on this podcast series with Pat Calabria. You've also got Beyond Blue, which can be reached on 1300 224636 and Australia's Suicide Prevention Line on 1300 659 467. So we've got some other links there in the podcast description as well, should you require them. And just to give Stuart another plug, you can find details of his book and make that order at www.justonereason.com. Dot au.
So I thank you for your time again today, and I look forward to bringing you a similarly honest and open conversation from another expert in the field of health and well-being as part of our Moments That Matter series very soon. <music>